I was upset. I didn't think I had what it takes. It took a while to admit anything was wrong. Diet and exercise sounded intimidating. But small, easy goals made it easy to start. Every situation is different. There are many paths to victory, but the end goal is all the same. This is the Weight Loss Podcast with Matt and Courtney, a couple who committed to a strategy and lost a combined 100 kilograms. When it comes to weight loss, you don't just need encouragement, you need a strategy. Hello and welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast. My name is Courtney and as always, next to me is the actual host of the show, Matt. Yeah, what? You are the, the leader of the ship. Are we sure about this? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Wow. It wouldn't be a very good show if it was just me. What has happened to my wife? I would probably not actually get a show out every week because I would just stuff everything up all the time. So Matt is the true leader of our ship and he is here today to talk about seven things you probably didn't know about exercise. Yeah, it, I think it's the right thing to say probably... Just because, you know, half the stuff we talk about probably comes across like shit. <laughs> Just keeping it real. Yeah. So if we come out and say, here's seven things you didn't know about exercise, we, we could be wrong on a couple of them. Yes. And we're not that arrogant to assume that we know things you don't. Jokes. Yes, we are actually. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I'm like, where is he going with this? This doesn't sound right. Well, I was thinking the same thing when you said he's the he's your host, Matt. <laughs> this is a co-host arrangement. <laughs> so yeah, we're here to have a bit of a factual discussion about just some things about exercise that uh, either you may not be aware of or may have glossed over because it is common and I've been there and I know Courtney's been there to, you know, we talk about exercise, we focus purely on, well, how many kilos can we lose this week? Hmm. There's a bit more to it than that, especially when we are discussing a holistic approach. So Courtney and I are going to drop some knowledge bombs here. Yes. Drop some knowledge bombs on seven things you probably, and let's be honest, you probably don't know about exercise because I didn't know them until I did. Mm. Funny how that works. Yes. So the way we are going to run this is I will take us through point by point. And then I think what's going to be good here, Courtney, is if we give a personal and or professional example of each thing in use, because obviously you and I have come a long way individually, but also have worked with many, many, many people Yes. on their weight loss goals and have seen a few things, Yes. shall we say. So I reckon without further ado, let's just get straight into it. With the first thing you probably did not know about exercise is that exercise can cut your risk of cancer. Mm. So what do I mean by that? So there's been studies done in particular um, over in the US on exercise and how it relates to colon cancer. And they found that the most active people were 21% less likely to be diagnosed with colon cancer than their least active, you know, colleagues or counterparts. Hmm. So they also discovered that brisk walking or other moderate activities could lower the risk of colon cancer. 
but also studies have shown that moderate, moderate to vigorous exercise, as in getting towards more of the hard stuff, mm. is needed to reduce the risk of breast cancer. Hmm. And what even adds a bit more to this uh, little nugget of information is that it doesn't appear to be impacted by age. Yes. So there was a study that tracked um, over 110,000 women in their 60s for a a long-term period of time. We're talking seven years, which is a, a very long study. Uh, and those that were doing you know, vigorous, uh, regular vigorous activity, even if they hadn't have exercised when they were younger, were 20% less likely to be diagnosed with breast cancer than those who barely did any exercise. Mm. So I'd say that's pretty good. Yes. Now, it's, you and I can't really talk too much no. about this personally. No. Because neither of us have gone through... Um, touch wood. Yes. Any any bouts of cancer, but you and I, Courtney, we have seen this in play with people who have used structured weight training uh, and nutrition to overcome and work through their sort of cancer battles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the main thing you'll to remember with this sort of research is not saying if you're an active person, you're never going to get cancer. We're talking here like, look at the numbers here, mm. 21% less likely and 20% less likely. Mm. So when we're not saying, oh, you're immune because no. it's out of your it's control. It's unrealistic. But, but if it's, 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 it's looking like that, it can at least reduce your likelihood. Even if, even if it was a 5% decrease in risk, then you would take that. Anything you that you can do to try to put the odds in your favor that you may not have to go through a cancer battle, then then that is just anything you can do to get that result is, is beneficial. Yes, Matt, we've, we've never gone through cancer. We've seen people go through cancer. Many people go through cancer and it is a terrible, 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 terrible situation and I wouldn't wish it upon any of my worst enemies. So... Anything you can do to try to decrease that risk is beneficial. And absolutely, we have seen people use exercise to benefit their recovery in terms of after cancer and during cancer treatment. So I guess that that is also sometimes a misconception, Matt, is that if you're going through an illness or a cancer battle that you shouldn't be exercising. Oh, no, you definitely should. Which is, yeah, which is definitely a misconception. Especially when undergoing things like chemo radiation, uh, any any sort of strength training you can get done, no matter how much like shit you feel, is going to be of, of major benefit. Yes. And obviously it needs to be done in a structured way and with the consultation of your of the medical professionals involved but it and is, your trainer and the, and the trainer and under supervision but it is all definitely beneficial to do um some exercise during yeah, those times so we think of all the benefits that you get from exercise to begin with mm. and then you add a possible reduction in the risk of cancer to go with it like yep sign me up yeah just take that yeah definitely so okay cool Uh, The second thing you probably didn't know about exercise, and this one's really good for me because I'm not the smartest cookie, uh, is that exercise creates new brain cells. 
<laughs> that has saved my life. <laughs> so it's known that uh, as we age uh, and get older, that we, let's just say we don't do as well on cognitive tests than we would when we were younger. Yes. That's almost, you'd say, like a, an accepted part of aging. Uh, mm. However... Uh, it's been shown that older adults who are more physically fit, healthy, capable, etc., uh, can often perform no different to younger adults on various cognitive tests. Hmm. So there was a study done again in the US uh, that was done on 30 you know, healthy uh, men and women uh, aged between 60 and 79. They were put. They were living sedentary lives, but were then, were then put on an aerobic exercise training routine. Yes. And after six months, their brain volume had increased. Hmm. So more grey and white matter and more connections formed between brain cells. So that's what we look at. You know, the the aerobic exercise that we can do uh, can help to build up what we need to protect brain neurons and promote the growth of new nerve cells that are related to you know learning memory etc so it would appear that you could possibly improve your brain function mm. through exercise which personally i think is fantastic yeah absolutely because i can i barely know what day it is half the time so <laughs> you it's good. do more exercise it, it's good it's good to, <laughs> it's good to know there's hope yes out there, but again, another sort of hidden benefit of exercise. And I, I mean, I obviously haven't done a study on my ability to create brain cells, but I do know that when I was very, very younger, or when I was younger and very unhealthy, very overweight, etc., I was a terrible student, mm. the worst kind of student because I would do nothing. And I, at the time, sort of accepted what I thought was the fact that, you know, I'm just not meant to learn things. Mm. Yet, as I started to you know, improve my health and fitness, change my body, my brain started to change along with it. Where, Courtney, as, as you would know now, because you've known me for a little while now, like, you know me as a very sort of academic person who learns things very, very quickly. Yes. And likes to, you know, likes to learn, likes to seek new knowledge, etc. That wasn't always the case hmm. at all. So nice little little factoid there that you might be able to create some new brain cells through exercise. Yes, that's a good one. There's hope for everyone. Yes, there is. What's the next one? Well, can I just make one more little comment? Yes. Uh, would this mean that potentially people who are shit drivers... If they exercise, they could use their brain and become a better driver. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I think that that might be just a choice. <laughs> All right. Uh, the third thing you probably didn't know about exercise is that it boosts insulin sensitivity. Mm. Now, this I can speak to on a very, very personal level. So for just to make sure we're on the same page here, insulin is a hormone that allows blood sugar to enter our cells. And it plays a large role in fat loss or fat gain. So as a byproduct of the aging process, our body's, our, our body's ability to sort of respond to insulin decreases 
which is part of the aging process and where you see people as they get older, they tend to get a little bit pudgier, a little bit less shape. You know, the muscle starts to sort of go away, replaced by the flab. Yes. This is unfortunately a normal part of the aging process. However, uh, aerobic and strength training has been shown to improve insulin sensitivity. Now, what you find is, and this is where I can come into this personally, as, as we lead further and further sedentary lives, as we make more sort of, you know, carbohydrate-rich choices uh, away from any sort of possible training, like, you know, slamming the pasta, the bread, etc., and all that sort of junk food that I used to eat, uh, increases insulin resistance. So increases increases the body's ability to use insulin the way it's meant to be used. Now, insulin resistance has been shown to increase the risk of heart disease. And if blood sugar levels continue to rise because of this insulin resistance, we talk about this little thing called type 2 diabetes. Yes. Now, I can speak to that. Yes. Because I've got it. You do. Now, I can quite easily say I've reversed it, but the thing is, you don't, technically, you don't actually reverse it. You've either got it or you don't. Mm. It's controlled. Because over time, I have improved my body's insulin sensitivity by making more you know, low-energy choices, so less junk and more you know, fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, lean proteins, etc. You know, the common sense stuff. But I've also uh, backed that with, you know, strength, plenty of strength training uh, and intense aerobic exercise as well. And that's a common thing with anyone, really, whether, whether you're type 2 diabetic or what is known as pre-diabetic, which I personally am of the opinion that pretty much every overweight person is pre-diabetic. Mm. Like they are a type 2 diabetic situation waiting to happen. Mm. To me, it's not if, it's when. Now, even if someone is pre-diabetic or pre-type 2 diabetic, it's not like a, a sentence here. You're not gonna, it's not 100% you're going to get it because you can turn it around by improving your insulin sensitivity through exercise and smart nutrition choices, which also for anyone wishing to lose weight, just this sort of a, a routine leads to weight loss. Mm. So I noticed, well, over time, when I was first diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic, I was under instruction to take my blood sugar levels multiple times a day, two to three times a day. And I would just, you know, just take note mentally of how things would work. So obviously in the morning, you'd wake up and you know, your, your levels are pretty low go through the day, might have some food and full transparency here. When I was first diagnosed as a type two diabetic, I didn't take it seriously. Mm. So I started to, you might say casually exercise, but just use that as an excuse to go home and eat junk food. So I was very happy waking up in the morning, having nothing, having you know, obviously you fast when you're asleep and my blood sugar levels were in a normal range. But it's funny what would happen when I would have things like, I don't know, chips, hamburgers, mm. Coke, heavily processed fruit juices, etc. Those levels would go through the roof quickly. Mm. 
over time, as I started to make better choices and change my day-to-day habits, the, the blood sugar levels went down and stayed down. The only time they would ever go up is, and this has been shown in science to occur, when I would do an intense workout, have food straight after, Mm-mm. and your blood sugar levels do spike Yes. then, but then after a set amount of time, they will drop right off because the body has used the nutrients that I put back into, into it. You know what I mean? Mm. So over time of you know building up the habit of the movement, of making better choices, my blood sugar levels, the average on a day-to-day basis went from being dangerous to more than acceptable, which is what led to one of the most memorable days of my life was my GP at the time saying to me, you don't need to do this anymore. You don't need the medication. You don't need to check your blood sugar levels. The the words were, and I quote, it looks like you've never even had it. Mm. And believe me, I had it. I was hospitalized with it. So it is, we all know it is controlled by lifestyle. Uh, And I can speak to it personally. But I also know that if I were to you know, choose to sabotage things and go right off the rails, guess what would happen? It'd come back. It'd come back. Absolutely. So it's not reversed, it's it's controlled. But insulin sensitivity and improving one's insulin sensitivity is a key to weight loss. And in the case of a lot of us that have, you know, long-term weight issues, uh, turning away from you know being pre-diabetic thoughts yeah absolutely i mean i obviously can't speak personally about having it i've never had it but i definitely know the importance of it so yeah i think it's a fantastic point to make and i think it's probably insulin i think is probably one of those things that people really don't understand it's one of those areas of the body people don't understand unless you have diabetes or you know someone who has diabetes, the use of insulin in our bodies is probably underestimated by the everyday person. It definitely is. And it is a very complex discussion. I mean, human hormones uh, are a degree by themselves. Yes. A university degree by themselves. But in the interest of this podcast and you know the goals of weight loss, you can actually keep this very, very simple. Uh, If you improve your insulin sensitivity through structured exercise and honestly, less junk food, you're on your way. Yeah. All right. So the next thing you probably didn't know about exercise uh, is that, uh, actually, to be fair, I think we all know this, but worth bringing this one up. Sitting down can really work against you. Mm. Really, really, really work against you. So it looks like um, that people that spend most of the day sitting down have higher mortality rates than those who don't. Mm. Even if they're physically active during another part of the day. Which does affect those of us who work from home. Mm. So it looks like that the, the inactivity of muscles while sitting could change the way that they metabolize various compounds and could affect regulation of, here it comes, insulin and glucose. Mm. Which is where any one of us who do or have worked in an office 
can understand sitting at your desk all day, like you really can feel like shit. Mm. So being sort of anchored to the chair or in, in a lot of cases anchored to the couch uh, can affect the insulin sensitivity that we spoke about and the way your body produces glucose, which is where a simple strategy for that one can be just every now and then, just get up and move. Mm. Funny how that works. Yes. Yes, funny how that works. Have you ever worked, Courtney, a very sort of sedentary job? Um, probably not. No, not not like a lot of people do. Mm. My jobs have always been either standing, walking around, hospitality, that sort of stuff. You're walking a lot. Um, it can be very physically fatiguing. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I did have another job where I did travel in the car a lot. But once I got to the next job, it was a physical job. So even though the only real sort of sitting down I did was traveling from job to job, but once I got out of the car, it wasn't just going in and sitting at a desk. It was actually doing a physical job. So I wouldn't say that I've really had a job where I'm just sitting all day. Uh, I have a number of times in my life where it, and even now, actually, I've sort of gone back there. We're now working primarily from home because, you know, the, the bulk of our clients are not local to us. So we work with our people online. So previously, for a number of years in my career, I would work in a gym. For quite a while, it was, you know, local commercial gyms that I was contracted to. And then our gym. Mm. So pretty much every day I was guaranteed to be there running classes or training people at one of the gyms I'd work at or our own gym, you know what I mean? Mm. Where now, most of my work now is done at home. So I actually have, this has been a challenge that I've sort of had the last 12 months personally is that I'm a lot at home a lot more now working from home, mm. which uh, anyone that knows me would know how much I do enjoy getting outside. And I enjoy being out um, in isolation in nature. This is a bit of a sort of mental therapy as well as physical, I guess you'd say. Mm. And Courtney, you'll you'll sort of back me up on this one that I've um, modified even my exercise and training routine to make sure I'm out and up and up and around and out more. Yes. To compensate for the fact that I'm also working more from a chair. Yes. It's funny, like, you know, I'm, I'm technically a personal trainer, I guess you could say, but I don't actually train people. No, you don't. Face-to-face anymore, you know what I mean? Or very rarely, you know? So I can certainly vouch for the strategy of getting up and moving. I think it's also a brain thing as well as a, a physical thing as well. Yeah, it is, get for ca- sure. Get cabin fever sitting in the same room all day. Yeah. You know, so if you've got a, a nine-to-five sort of office job where you find yourself sitting on your bum a lot for work, schedule in regular walk-arounds. Mm. That's also what I would do when I, was, when I used to work at the office myself was I'd just get up and just do a lap of the office. Yeah. You know, or even go to a different, a different part of the... Um, I used to work at, a, at one of the major builders here in, in Melbourne, Australia, and they had multiple buildings... Uh, on the, you might say, what, the campus. Mm. 
so every now and then through the day, I just go, you know what? I've been sitting here for an hour. I'm getting up. I'm just going for a walk. I'm just go to a different building. Yeah. Do something there. Get something from there or go around the office. So I can recommend that just to get the blood flowing through the legs and keep your body moving. Especially if you work in a building that's got stairs. Mm. Go up and down the stairs a couple of times. It adds up. Yeah, it does. All right. The fifth thing you probably didn't know about exercise. Uh, I love this one. You're never too old to build muscle tissue. Yeah, this is a really another really big misconception out there, I think. Slowly well, starting to be addressed, but uh, very, very, very slowly. You, you say misconception. I might say excuse. Yeah. Is that people use age as an excuse to stop giving a shit. Oh, yeah. I'm too old. Fuck off. Seriously. There are n- numerous studies out there that show that the body's ability to create muscle tissue does not disappear with age. Mm. Does it change? Yes. Absolutely. The body changes as it gets older. But we don't lose the ability to create muscle tissue. The benefits of muscle tissue are just countless. Yes. Starting with, I think, sort of physical independence and functional movement all the way through to immune system, um, metabolic function, and body fat. Mm. Now, I remember one of the first things that really struck my eye personally when I first started getting to the gym, like a long time ago now, was there was a, a, an article about a study printed on the wall at the gym about a study done on senior citizens in their 90s. They had them in the gym and they were showing on the scans they were creating muscle tissue. Mm. Now, what a surprise as a result as well, these senior citizens were enjoying a far greater independence in their senior years. Yes. As a result of being physically stronger. And it has been shown that um, the oldest person has been documented of you know building up strength levels and muscle mass levels was 103 years of age. Hmm. So next time someone in their 50s tells me that they're too old and they're past it, I mean, seriously, how full of shit can you get? Yeah. You know, so I think personally, the sort of take-home message from this one is that if you use the excuse of age, you are full of shit. Oh, 100%. Oh, I just said it. 100% or 90%? <laughs> yes, no, that is definitely true. And I, I think that it is true what you said, Matt. A lot of people do use it as an excuse. Yeah. And I think just a lot of people, though, just in general, are just not educated enough about the benefits of it. Well, is it is it education or just an excuse just to not give a shit? No, because- I think a lot of it does come down to education too because mm-hmm. if people, the older people these days, if they didn't go to the gym in their younger years, they're not aware, a lot of them, of the benefits of it. Yep. And I don't think that GPs and specialists these days give enough education to the elderly community in terms of the benefits of this sort of stuff. Well, because you probably make more money selling them fucking medication. So I think that there isn't enough 
there is not definitely not enough education based around not just I think there's a lot of education based around movement as you get older and keeping moving and keeping active as much as possible but I don't think there's enough emphasis put on the actual building muscle part of it getting stronger yes that's a fair point actually uh yep well said and I've worked with I've worked with clients in their 60s and 70s Mm. on strength training programs through my career and I've seen them improve dramatically in terms of flexibility so the range of motion on various exercises gets better Uh, so their flexibility opens up uh, strength goes up and the best comments I've ever had from clients I've worked with that are you know 60 and up have been all the things that, that their strength levels allow the things that they can do Yes. As a result of being stronger. And it could be simple things like, I get out of bed easier. Mm. Or I get off the toilet easier. I can carry more shopping bags in from the car. Or you get, you know, those that are a bit more sort of adventurous. I went and hiked up a mountain. Mm. I did this, I did this, I did that. To me, that is legitimately inspirational. When you've got people that are in, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s and up, that are still enjoying life like they were 40 years younger. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love that. And I personally, just as an aside, I think the term inspirational gets thrown around way too much in our industry. How often do you you get called inspirational by people that aren't actually doing a fucking thing? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're so inspirational. Well, it's not inspiring you to do anything, so shut up. Just my little two cents worth on that one. But to me personally, people that don't use age as an excuse and work to keep their functional strength, keep their and keep their strength in general, and use it to really enjoy their life no matter what what age they are, I personally find that inspirational because I don't want to be one of those old people that loses their functional independence. That yeah. terrifies me. Well, the problem is as well that as we age, our muscle automatically will start to decrease. It is part of the aging process, yeah. The metabolism changes, the body does lose muscle mass and accumulates more body fat as part of aging, but that can be worked on. Correct. So that is why the emphasis of making sure that we are doing some weight training is there because your body is automatically going to try to get rid of it. So mm. we need to make sure that that is a priority. And that is why I think it's really underrated by a lot of health professionals looking after the elderly community in this country, which is that your body is going to try to get rid of your muscle tissue anyway Mm. as part of aging and so the emphasis really needs to be on yes being active but you need to be active in terms of keeping like just working on keeping what you've got let alone building extra muscle tissue so would we can we agree that the official stance of the weight loss podcast is if you're not doing weight training you should yes next would you say 100 percent Yes. Next. Point number six. The sixth thing you probably didn't know about exercise. Exercise prevents visceral fat gain. Now, Matt, what is visceral visceral fat gain? What is visceral fat? So visceral fat is the fat that accumulates around the organs. Yes. uh, Inside our body and is uh, heavily linked to insulin resistance. There it is again. 
heart disease and diabetes. So there was a study done over at Duke University in the US uh, that sedentary overweight men and women who follow their exercise program, which worked out to be roughly 30 minutes six times a week for eight months, they stopped gaining visceral fat mm. just by being active. So as the fat, because they were previously were overweight and were previously very sedentary, they were accumulating this visceral fat around their organs, which is the real bad stuff. Yes. After eight months, they'd stopped gaining it. Mm. Now, to me, that means, great, you stopped gaining it. So now they're at the stage where they might start to turn their body shapes around start to improve things. Conversely, people in the control group, as in the ones that were doing the opposite, saw their visceral fat increase by 9% after six months. Mm. Holy shit. That's a, that's a fair difference. Yes. So all the more reason to get your ass off the couch. Now, I mean, you can, you can, yes, we're talking in this point about visceral fat, but you can just talk about this in terms of just fat in general. Mm. And there are different types of fat on the body. Most people are concerned about the, what's called subcutaneous fat, which is what we see underneath the skin. Yes. But there's more fat than just that. With, you know, there's the visceral fat here. Uh, there's, also, there's also actually fat that can accumulate in your muscle tissue as well and that's where a lot of people sort of undermine themselves and their progress they're so focused on the fat that they can see they don't understand that you've got to go through the fat that you can't see before you get rid of the stuff that you can see and that's where it can take some time awkward silence yes i assume that you were still making your point no oh that is it no full stop <laughs> well I really love this point because visceral fat obviously is a fat you can't see. So it is, of course, a fat that people don't pay much attention to. You should. And you really should. And I think that goes for people. I know this study was done with overweight people, but I think that people who live unhealthy lifestyles that naturally don't put on a lot of weight. Oh, as in I'm skinny, I must be healthy. That this is a really big point for you people as well. That just because you're not gaining well weight on the outside doesn't mean that your insides are overly healthy. So you have those sort of people that can eat seemingly whatever they want and they just never seem to put weight on. The problem is is that it's not helping the insides and the visceral fat. So if you're constantly shoving your face with shit you're still pumping fat into your body that is going to go somewhere. So this this study, I think, is fantastic. I love it. And as I said, I think the visceral fat is very much... Well, I don't, I don't think it's a silent killer. We know it's a silent killer. And it's just one of those things that, of course, out of sight, out of mind, we don't see it. We don't think about it. We tend not to care so much about the things that we can't see. So... I, I really love this point. It's really one that, again, really needs to be emphasized. Yeah, and it's also really why a lot of people are so, I think, delusional about how long it will actually take them to get a fantastic change. Correct. Because I, I personally do think that a lot of people really, 
either choose not to or just totally underestimate how much work they have to do to get to get out of the hole they've dug for themselves. Mm. And it goes beyond just the fat you see, the subcutaneous stuff, than what you see underneath the skin. Yes. There's so much more to it than that. And that's also why as well, why we don't work with clients for a short-term period of time anymore. No. Because people need time to change this shit. And it starts by changing the inside before the outside, the outside changes. Yes. So we'll move on to the last one. Mm-hmm. This is going to... Uh, go quite well after the never too old to build muscle point. Yes. If you get stronger, you'll probably live longer. Yeah. So we all know that if we lift weights, structured weight training, is that we'll get stronger. Fantastic. We're going to get stronger. But the benefits to having a training program that focuses on building strength actually does extend beyond just improving function or just improving the way you look, which by the way are two pretty good things. Yes. But it goes it goes beyond that. There are some some benefits that people don't know much about. We're talking about, you know, improved cholesterol. Yes. Improved <clears throat> cardiac efficiency. Uh, and one that helped me a lot was normalizing blood pressure. Mm. I used to have notoriously low blood pressure, hmm. which evened itself out. Uh, but another sort of benefit of strength training and improving one's strength does also relate to mortality. So there has been uh, a pretty large study done that shows that individuals who have higher strength levels will possess uh, lower morbidity rates. Hmm. Being Now, what do I mean by that? Simple as this. Those who have higher strength levels seem to live longer than those with lower strength levels. Mm. So you could almost say in simple terms that training to improve one's strength does appear to be almost like an insurance policy. Yes. That will protect you against, you know, sort of unrelated conditions that may shorten your lifespan. So this kind of backs up point number five, Courtney, which we, as the official stance of the Weight Loss Podcast, if you're not doing weight training, you bloody well should be. Yes. Like, what are you doing? Like Do it. It, 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 helped, it helped me control the type 2 diabetes. It's changed both of our body shapes. It's, it's given both of us functional strength. It has so I don't many get more, sick anymore. There's so many benefits beyond just changing your body shape and losing weight. Which, by the way, are massive Which to are begin with. Huge, like, yeah, especially for you listening, because this is the weight loss podcast at the end of the day. But <laughs> it, it goes well beyond that as well. So cannot cannot emphasize enough just... Get in the gym, mate. Get into the Get gym. Get the gym. Yes, and being active is iron. great. There's so much research and there's so much knowledge. Oh, stay, please. And everything stay active. around about being active, which is fantastic. But there really needs to be more emphasis placed on, yes, stay active, but you really have to start looking at strength building. Yeah. And especially as we age, just keeping what we've got, let alone building extra. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll... Let's just use this as a good chance to to put a reminder up that with with Courtney and myself, 
And with every client we've ever worked with and every client we ever will work with, strength training is the cornerstone of their program, their yes. exercise program. It starts with that. Yes. So we build their strength training program out first and then from there we'll layer on you know, the aerobic activities, the less intense activities, etc. But it starts with strength training is the cornerstone because of the countless number of benefits that come as a result of that. Yes. So success leads clues. It's worked for us. It's worked for our clients. Mm, might work for you too. Yes. Okay. So that's a wrap on that one. I reckon we might move on and take an email. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, let's go. Email time. Sorry. Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you can and should email us. We have an email here, Courtney, from Melissa. You're going to like this. Cool. Hello, Courtney and Matt. Yay, I was first. Hey. <laughs> Woohoo. What do you reckon? People are starting to understand. Yep. Uh, love the show. Listen to them all and listening to them again from the start in case I've missed something. Thank you very much, Mel, for bumping up our download numbers. Continue yes. to do that. Uh, loved listening to episode number two. Uh, I can relate to everything Courtney has spoken about. That's uh, episode number two is the one about you, mm. wife. Uh, before I realized I'm a size 18, I really hate looking in the mirror and I hate going clothes shopping. Sounds familiar. Mm. Uh, also, uh, with your podcast number 85, I would like to say, Courtney, if you were to ever see me in the gym and I'm not using a machine correctly, please feel free to come show me the correct way. What was 85? <laughs> what was 85? Let's have a look. Now I'm intrigued. Oh, bear with me. I'll, I, I can't remember myself. Um, why your obsession with the outcome is holding you back. Okay. So it's the one where we spoke about um, people that focus entirely on the end result and not what it actually takes to get there. Yeah. Uh, but I do recall in that episode, you had a little bit of a rant about being in the gym and seeing people doing things poorly yeah and just not say. saying anything and putting my head down yeah okay. hoodie on headphones in crank the volume up uh okay well then yes mel i will definitely if i see you in the gym more than happy to discuss exercises <laughs> absolutely yeah uh i'm really trying my best to motivate myself to get to the gym uh every other day if not every weekday just want to make a comment about trying to motivate yourself. Not going to work. Mm. You, need a, you need a goal to commit to. Motivation is highly unreliable. I would love to know uh, what other forms of cardio you might suggest as I have bad knees and would love to run but can't. What do you think? So let's say you've got someone who's got bad knees, mm -hmm. can't run. Other forms of cardio, Courtney, hit me. Well, you've got the cross trainer. Yes, very which low is impact. Non impact. Yep. So definitely utilize a cross trainer. Uh, you would also try the bike, the mm. exercise bike, depending on how your knees feel on that. Boxing. Uh, you've got boxing. You've got the stair machine, 
which... That, that, that is a your mileage may vary machine. You've got to check how the knees pull up on that You've got to one. see how the knees pull up. The only reason I comment it is because it is it's really hard. So you wouldn't be going at yeah. a very high rate of pace. So you would just have to see how that goes. My advice with that, though, is, is that something like a stair machine might work, but not for an overly long period of time, which is fine because I personally get bored with cardio very quickly. So I would always recommend doing two or three different machines in the one session. So spending, you know, 10 minutes on each machine or something like that. That way, you know, you're going to have uh, keep the intensity up and you're not going to get bored and complacent on the one machine. So if you could, if your knees can survive, you know, around the, the somewhere between five to 10 minutes on a stair machine, that might be just something cool to add in to a bit of a circuit for yourself. Boxing is definitely a really good one. Um, could I just, could I just, firstly... I could recommend the swimming pool. Yes. Uh, but also, just keep in mind, when it comes to intense cardio exercise, there's way more than just running. Mm. Way, way, way more. I think for someone with dodgy knees, you've just got to do a bit of trial and error. So if running is out of bounds right now, that's fine. So Courtney's on the money talking about things like the stationary bike, especially the cross trainer. Experimenting with low impact type of movements that don't compromise the intensity. Yeah. And so then... We, sorry, after you. Sorry. And then I was just going to say with something as well, remember with something like if you just did a cross trainer for your whole, say, 30 minute um, cardio time frame, you don't have to... You can just do the same machine, but you don't have to just go along at the same pace for 30 minutes, like, oh, boring. So yeah. try to do a bit of a up and down style interval training yourself. So you might just start off at the standard preset pace when you first get on it for the first five minutes, get blood flowing in the legs and the arms. And then you might go up to level five and you might mm. aim to stay there for a minute. Mm. And then for the next minute, you go up to 10 and then you drop it back to five for the next three minutes. This sounds familiar. We've done we've done this just recently. Good times. And that's why it was fresh in my mind. Yeah. But that's the other thing I would do if I was going to stay on the same machine for all thirty minutes. Oh, you interval it. But I think I think though you probably jumped ahead a step or two there, Courtney. The first step would be is to try different forms of movement out and see how the knees respond. Mm. Get a hit list together of the do's and the don'ts. We know that running is a don't. We need to ascertain what the do's are. What is, what is sustainable? And then you can sort of structure the workouts from there. Yes. Yeah? And sometimes you just may not know how... Some some exercises, your knees may f feel fine, but then they don't recover well. So you're just going to have to take that data and compile a bit of a list for yourself and then mix things up from there. Yep. Well said. So uh, thanks for that one, Mel. Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com is where you should email us and make sure to mention Courtney's name first. It makes her feel good. <laughs> so, Courtney, that's a wrap. That is a wrap. Good show. Yes, we hope that helped and we will see you next time. Have a good time. one. Get more free tips, listen to previous episodes and contact Matt and Courtney at theweightlosspodcast.com.